0: Hi, I'm Kim Kuklitz, and I'm the founder of Stance. And I'm Sarah Zanbergen. I'm the ambassador for Stance, and this is the Take Back, Talk Back podcast. We're here to open real conversations about women, finance, and confidence. At Stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations like this.
1: So today's guest is Sarah Stockdale, Sarah is the founder and CEO of Grow Class, an online growth marketing training company. She's a professional speaker and she coaches businesses and individuals to achieve incredible growth results. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. We're very excited to get started with you. So can you break this down for us? Like if I was your client who just started my own business... How would you help me grow it? So
2: Grow Class is really comprehensive training for founders and marketers. So basically what we do is take all of our students who are, you know, mostly incredible uh, founders, entrepreneurs, we've got a lot of senior leadership at technology startups, and also marketers. So we take you through eight weeks. And basically, we start you at the very beginning of figuring out uh, your overall growth strategy, how to think about your funnel, how to think about creating your user personas and developing, you know, really great customer psychology practice within your business. And then we get into the nitty gritty of growth. How are you going to grow. So we teach you Facebook ads, Facebook ad optimization, Google ads, email marketing and funnels, conversion, copywriting for your website and your landing pages, and build out your SEO and analytics. So in eight weeks, you kind of drink from the fire hose. You get everything that you need to figure out the growth strategy for your business, as well as a pretty awesome supportive community of people around you that can answer all of your questions.
0: So, so, Sarah, let's talk about your thoughts on women and hustle culture. So, I've heard you talk about looking good on paper versus reality and how how that can lead us to us spending more or making maybe poor financial decisions. so let's let's hear it. Give it to us unplugged. Hustle culture in the way that it's been you know
2: presented to us over the last few years. as a woman and as an entrepreneur, there's additional pressure to build your business and build it with, you know, potentially less resources, less funding statistically anyway, and to kind of prove your worth and, and prove that, you know, you are able to build something of value and of quality. So there's pressure on all sides, right? People, especially the I come from tech, so the Silicon Valley hustle culture is everyone is trying to optimize every part of their life, you know, we're putting butter in our coffee and putting ice packs on the back of your neck to burn extra calories at work. Like it's just absolutely ridiculous. And it's unsustainable and it makes you sick. And I think when it comes like when you're thinking about it from a financial point of view, if you're trying to appear um if you're trying to appear successful, like there's a difference between being successful and appearing successful. <laughs> like that Mercedes that you're driving could have a whole lot of credit card debt behind it. Like it's not, I'm not impressed by that. I think, you know, the way I want to run my business is looking at, you know, what is what is the impact that we can have specifically on women in marginalized communities, but for everyone that we work with? And how do we generate, a, a you know, generate an incredibly sustainable business that is you know, we're fully bootstrapped, we're fully customer funded. I didn't take any money even from a friends and family around. And that's because I think we we drive enough value that we don't need, we, you know, we already have that part figured out. So we, we don't need investment capital to try to make our business look bigger than it is. Uh, we can, you know, we can build it on a shoestring budget and we can still provide incredible value to our students and our clients without... You know, the fancy, I I worked for a startup that had like parties in Tahoe with yachts and like, it didn't mean that we were revenue positive, you know, it just looked really good in photos. So I'm actually looking to build the, you know, the opposite of that kind of business, an incredibly sustainable, solid company that doesn't
0: need to look shiny or fancy. And those are the stories that I gravitate, like personally, and I think I'm probably part of your your key demographic. And that's what I gravitate to on social media is don't, you know, blow smoke up wherever. But tell me, you know, are you driving a 2008 Toyota? And like, I'm going to respect you and I'm going to say, okay, you're being real with me rather than look at all these flashy things I have. And, and we could do that for you too. And it just screams, uh... MLM to me.
2: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. There's so many in my industry, especially with online education. You know, half of the battle with what we have to do is undoing all of the damage that other folks in the space have been doing, like posing beside Lambos that are fully rented or someone's dad's, like just all of the nonsense that it's like you can make $100,000 in an e-commerce business in 10 days. And I'm like, no, you can't. That's not realistic or true. And it's, you know, we're trying to undo all of the harm that this, uh, you know, rich tech influencer culture has created and actually help people create things that really do grow.
1: It's an interesting world we live in now with social media. And Sarah and I talk about it all the time, right? Yes, social media can really help in certain circumstances, but it can also be troublesome for, for a number of people. And especially if you get caught up in that whole piece about, you know, look what I'm doing or, you know, look how much money I have, right? You know, some, something's got to change. So I, I'm glad that you want to unravel that. So quote of yours, I want to touch on from your Bay Street Bull article about Grow Class was, I couldn't find welcoming communities with people asking questions when they were new to something. So let's talk about asking questions and feeling like it's okay to not know everything. This is something I think about often when it comes to the subject of of financial competence. But I, I think it applies more widely. Would you agree? Yeah,
2: absolutely. Like I think a lot of the time, my lens is on growing companies and you can make things... If you're afraid to ask questions or if you've been discouraged from not knowing things, like I used to work with a lot of incredibly bright engineers, and I still remember getting uh, a link once when I asked a question, I was coding in CSS and I didn't know how to do something. And uh, I asked a question, and I got a link that said, let me Google that for you. And like, I am all for trying to figure stuff out on oh your own. God. That is half of, you know, the job of any, I know, right? Especially with, you know, the way that we've built Grow Class. One of the tenets of Grow Class is there are no dumb questions in Grow Class. And then there are no acronyms in Grow Class. Those are like two of our rules. But I think when it comes to financial confidence as well, like, With anything that has some complexity to it, it is so, so important that people feel comfortable saying that they don't know how to do something or that they don't know what something means so that you can get them that information and they can make really good decisions, you know, whether it be about their business or about, you know, what choices they're making on the financial side. Um, Just making it okay to say you don't know. I think is really important for all of us to to grow and get better.
0: Absolutely. This is a conversation that Kim and I have all the time is if you're talking to a financial advisor and your financial advisor is just spouting out all of these acronyms because the financial industry is full of them too. Let's make it okay to say, you know what, I don't actually know what that is. And can we start there? Can we talk about that? Yeah, I think I think too, like when it comes to financial advisors
2: or even, you know, a lot of the time when you're when you're looking at you know, even in my industry with things like putting together an SEO strategy or hiring an agency, the bad ones try to confuse you. Like if you come out of a meeting that's been, you know, full of acronyms and full of cloudy language, those are not people you want to work with. You want to work with someone who can break it down To a kindergartner and explain it to them because that means they really know what they're talking about. So I'm always, I'm also just, you know, incredulous and wary of people who use a lot of acronyms and who try to make things needlessly complicated because my question is. A, why Why do you want this person to not understand? What is in it for you if they don't understand? And B, do you understand it? If you're using all of this kind of funny language, um, is it, are you compensating for something? So I, I'm very much a proponent of, you know, no acronyms, simple, simple language. If you can't break it down for a kindergartner, you probably don't know well, it well enough to be teaching it or advising on it. When we go to the doctor, okay,
1: And, you know, the doctor says, okay, so there's something, you know, you got da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, oh, my God, what is that? Right? Because they've used this lingo that why would I know any of these medical terms? Right? And often what we do is we walk out of the doctor's office, we get home and, you know, we're discussing with our partner. So what did the doctor say? Well, the doctor said that, you know, they think or I've got bop, 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 bop. What what is that? I, I don't know you didn't ask so like our society in in lots of professions and even in in it's not just in the medical profession it could be in the legal or the financial but yeah why are people using these these words and what, why would we expect why would they expect us to understand what they're talking about unless i'm in that field it's not the way to do it so you know what you should feel confident to to ask those questions so so just just moving on Female-led ventures are growing at twice the rate of other businesses with fewer resources. Grow Class came from a lack of inclusive resources and so did Stance for that matter. But we knew when we started this initiative that there was nothing out there to improve women's financial confidence. So we basically had to build that ourselves. Tell us, was it a similar journey for you and what did finding that gap look like? Yeah, so with Grow Class,
2: you know, we we teach when you're looking at you know potential opportunities to build a business, where are you solving a real problem and a problem that people will will actually pay for? So I think a lot of the time when people are building businesses, they get really excited about an idea, and a lot of what I teach is okay, how are we validating that that idea actually has a business behind it? And so with Grow Class, we we Took it the exact same way that we we teach it. So um, I started a consultancy called Valkyrie after the last company that I was working for sold to Airbnb, and um, I was just working with you know I was I was working with big companies, uh, actually some big banks, and also you know small scrappy little startups like here and in the in the US, helping them build their growth strategy. And the thing that I found over and over and over again was everyone was struggling to find talent, to find really great people who could do this job really well. And I was kind of training them, so I was helping them find, you know, people with a lot of resilience who were really bright who could learn it. And then I was uh, helping them build their teams and training it in house. And so I really came up with the idea of Grow Class. From just you know experiencing the problem for myself so many times, and uh, and and already kind of in flight testing a solution and actually seeing that folks would pay for a solution. So when we did the very first iteration of Grow Class, um, we did it very much the way that we would teach um, our students to do it. We just threw up a landing page. We put you know we outlined what we thought people would want to learn, what we were teaching our, you know our clients, and getting good feedback on and i tweeted it i i sent it i sent one email to a small list that we had for valkyrie because we were you know client facing we weren't really building big b2c lists and we sent four tweets and we filled the cohort in i think it was 72 hours so it was just a Wow. We, yeah we lean tested it it wasn't a company yet it wasn't even built um we lean tested it we did it live the first three cohorts and we built it online once we knew it worked so that kind of slow progression of like, test the idea, test the monetization of the idea, make sure you get good feedback, you know, iterate the content, make sure that everyone's having a, having a really good experience and actually getting results out of it and then build it online. So that's how we, we built Grow Class in a very experimental way.
0: (laughs) I, I think a good segue into my next question for you is I've heard you speak about knowledge sharing and the knowledge sharing culture. And in, an article that I read from you and talking about how mentorship is like giving the middle finger to the idea of, well, this is my knowledge. It's mine. I worked for it. So now I'm keeping it to myself and I'm not going to share it with anyone else. And um, I mean, mentorship, obviously, you know, now you've met my mentor. I'm, I'm very lucky to have had a really good atmosphere where I work and having amazing women around me who are eager to share what they've learned over the years. So can we talk about how sharing knowledge and ideas can actually increase our confidence and the confidence of the person we're sharing with?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think um, I think finding people who are willing to be incredibly open about their careers and their businesses and what they've learned. So I have a group called, we call ourselves the Foe Workers. Um, Fake coworkers <laughs> and a uh, bunch of entrepreneurs kind of in a similar space. And we share literally everything, get into the numbers of our businesses. We get advice from each other. And it's an incredibly bright, uh, smart, supportive community. We've got a Slack channel. We're just constantly, constantly helping each other with our businesses and sharing everything that we learn. And I think there's this like kind of you know, competitive, sometimes hoarding culture when it comes to, you know, someone's career or building something new. You know, I'm not going to share my salary information. I'm not going to share um, how I went about, you know, raising money or getting my first customers. And like, I, I, I come from a, a different Place, I guess, a place of like. If I think you've done something incredible, I'm more likely to just admire that and want to hang out with you and be your friend and learn from you than I than I am going, going to want to make you my competition. Because you know, the people we admire, the people we are, you know, maybe the people who trigger your jealousy. Those are the people who you are most interested in having a life like their life. And they are the person who has the most information on how to do that. So uh, why would you see that as anything more than inspiration and get really excited to kind of dig in and and learn as much as you can about that person? So I I feel really lucky that I have those people in my life and I'm constantly trying to cultivate more relationships like that. But I think if everyone kind of shifted from... You know, jealousy to admiration to camaraderie, we'd we'd all be a little bit better off in in our careers and our businesses.
0: So, Kim, as a woman, do you feel like there's a heightened pressure for you to succeed, maybe more so than your male counterparts?
1: Yeah, uh, I guess so. Unfortunately, we've grown up in a society where women have always had to prove themselves Otherwise, we wouldn't be seen or heard or thought to be competent enough to do the same job as our male counterparts. There's a pressure that comes with that, though. It makes us
0: go above and beyond to prove ourselves. It does. And listen, you know this. I'm not afraid of hard work. But don't you think that's complete crap that we have to do that? Of course.
1: Now, could we talk about the feminist
0: movement and when that started? Your favorite topic? (sighs) My favorite topic. (laughs) Here's me with my feminist mug. Um, (laughs) There are, so there are many waves, and you know I did my research here. There are many waves of feminism. The first wave was in the 1800s with the lobbying for votes for women with my girl, Nellie McClung. Right, for sure. And the second wave started in 1960,
1: and that was around the time birth control came out. Women started flocking more to the workforce. These dates we're referring to are not that recent, but it makes me think, how did we allow this to go on as long as it has? So why do you think we're talking about it more now? Like, I don't know, something I think about all the time.
0: Personally, my opinion on this is that the emergence of social media has brought these conversations to the forefront and really made it easier for us to have them in the first place. So now, with a click of a mouse, I can have a conversation with people on another continent. I can engage with people with completely different perspectives to my own, when before, I may have only had exposure to people in my community who might not challenge my ideas as much. But we're not out of the woods yet. We're in the middle of a global pandemic that's seeing 70% of women being pushed out of the workforce for a variety of different reasons. So that really leads to the question, have we really made as much progress for women as we think we have?
1: For our listeners, if you haven't already, check out episode one where we talk more about what's becoming known as
0: the She Session. I was really struck when Sarah shared that in a programming job early on, someone sent her a let me Google that for you link, which I think is so rude. Um, so there's a stigma in admitting that you don't know something, which is ridiculous. And on the flip side, when you do know, there's a stigma to sharing. As we explored in this interview, there's a fear of being redundant if you share your knowledge. So. I'm curious with you, have you ever felt that? You have a wealth of experience and you've mentored a lot. Have you ever felt like if you share your knowledge, it'll have an adverse effect on you and your career?
1: Not at all. We need to get better at not thinking we have all the answers or that we have to have all the answers. Being able to tap into someone that has experience and the wisdom and the knowledge to share is hugely important in someone moving forward. I love to share my experiences because my experiences might help someone navigate their career. But when we think we have all the answers and we're afraid to ask, that's baloney. Sometimes we're expected, regardless of our gender, to know everything. Listen, I don't know everything. My interests and my perspectives may be different. My point being, we need to feel more confident reaching out to others who do have the wisdom and knowledge and not be afraid to ask questions. Be curious, learn. Being curious is not a new thing. Let's talk about succeeding in a male-dominated field. So I came up in the mortgage industry and I've been in the financial industry for about 30 plus years. And typically, this industry is seen as a very male-dominated, is very male-dominated. So I've watched it change. It's getting better. But there are a lot of industries, STEM is a big one, that are still very male-dominated. I know what helped me personally succeed, but I also know it's going to look very different for, you know, women who are getting started in their careers now. What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I came
1: up very
2: kind of similar to you in, in tech. I was one of the only women working at the first startup that, um, that I started in and I've seen a bit of a positive progression in the field, but there's a lot of work that we still need to do. It, it is still, it is still not a kind and welcoming space for, you know, women and marginalized folks. So there's, there's a ton of work to do there. And I think what I've learned is, you know, I'm always looking for allies and other kind of folks who have been marginalized in the industry to kind of create our own spaces and create our own tables I think you know the more we can share information with each other. One of the big things I think in tech is sharing salary information. So talking openly about how much we're all getting paid, how much our counterparts are getting paid. It's the only way to figure out if in your in your workplace you are you know being massively underpaid against your you know your male coworkers, um, which is a, a pretty consistent problem. So I think just the You know, finding people who you can have really open and honest conversations with and share as much information as possible. And, you know, again, to what we were saying before, not seeing other, you know, women that you're working with as competition, uh, seeing, you know, potentially everyone you're working with as competition, but also, you know, seeing them as a, a force of support, um, At the the last company, I was one of the only women on the leadership team, and there was a crew of us before every team, you know, leadership team call, we'd get on the phone and kind of, you know, figure out how to shine each other, figure out who had ideas that needed to be heard, who had resources that they need to get for their team, and make a little bit of a plan of how we were going to tackle the meeting so that we could make sure that our ideas were heard and not potentially co-opted by other team members. So. You know, having, having a group of people um, that just unapologetically supported each other was really helpful. And I think with Grow Class, like, I'm just building my own table. Instead of going into work in a male-dominated space, I'm creating my own space. And it's not always the easiest and it's not always an option open to everyone. Not everyone can go and start their own company. It comes from a space of immense privilege that I'm able to do this. But um, I'm building my own table so that I can make it as, as inclusive as possible.
0: I've been quoting you back to yourself all day, and and one of the things that I love that you've said, and this is something I'm currently on the journey of doing, you've said, don't pad your incredible ideas with language to make other people comfortable. When I read that, I, I thought, abso freaking lootly yes. So I've been trying to remove the justs from my language. I've just, oh, I just wanted to say, I just wanted to add just a little, can I have just a tiny little bit of your time? Um... I'm I'm just over here in the corner, um, or or even a quick question. I have a quick question for you. It's not a long, que- it's a quick question. And have you found that doing this yourself has grown your confidence? Because I know personally, it has for me. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like a
2: lot of the time women uh, speak in questions. So like, we we are instead of speaking in statements, as though you know, this is something that. I know for a fact, this is something that I have information on, this is my opinion, we will frame it as a question to make other people more comfortable, or we will pad it with language like, you know, I, you know, I I was just thinking or, you know, I, I just had an idea. And instead of just saying, this is a thing that I know, this is how I feel on this issue. This is what the research says. And I, I actually have a Chrome extension that underlines all of my jests and all of my questions. And, you know, anytime that it looks like I, I've i constructed a sentence that's got a little bit of weak language to it, I have a Chrome extension that underlines it for me so that I can, you know, make sure that I'm even writing more confidently because I do think it it does help, honestly, the just the amount that we temper our our knowledge and our brilliance and our ideas with language that just waters it down a little bit weakens it a little bit I, I even for myself i cannot get over the amount of just that i will put in my in my emails if i don't actively think about it and yeah
1: i'm picturing myself opening up a you know when i send an email i just wanted to i just i i say it all the time I didn't realize that I'm saying it all the time that That's the more shocking thing um Wow it's pretty game changing. I also
2: find I do it with emojis with emojis oh, a hundred percent like you when mean I'm, so you mean you're putting emojis in you know emails or slack messages like smiley face yeah to, well, do you know if you have if i'm you know and, and I'm trying to do it less and less and less, but when I ask for something from someone on my team. Um, instead of just asking them for it, I'm softening it. I'm making it as as friendly and a non-threatening a
1: request as possible yep. when, when really I should just be able to ask for the thing. Well, you know why that is? Because you know what? Email doesn't, you know, you don't know the tone from an email. So you could read an email. Sarah could read the same email and take the tone very different than, than I would. So it, that even brings it back that your point is even more um, compelling is that, you know, the way that we write and the language that we use, right? So, you know, so we're not having to do those things. Another quote from your Bay Street Bull that I really connected uh, with was, you don't know it all, none of us do. And I think that's a really important message. We are always learning, right? Yeah, I think uh, for me,
2: anyway, I I work in education now in tech and there's an arrogance to thinking that you have the answer to every question, uh, especially even with students, right? If I don't know, I'm not going to make something up. Um, Such arrogance. And and it's something that I learned from Tim Ryan, who's my boss at, um, at Tilt. When I first started, when I first, you know, was growing my team, I had this, and I think it was an overcompensation thing, but I wasn't good at saying that I didn't know something. So when someone on my team would ask me, I would always be able to come up with an answer. And it didn't necessarily mean it was the right answer. It just meant that, like, I felt like I needed to have all of the answers. And Tim, I remember taking, I I remember him taking me aside and saying, It's okay to say that you don't know. It's okay to say that you're going to get back to someone on something. It's okay to be completely honest and say, You know, we haven't thought through that yet. And I think part of that was being, you know, one of the only women in a leadership position I was, you know, really. Pushing myself to always have that confidence and always have those answers. But, um, you know, there's a lot of strength in being able to say that you don't know so that you can get the best information to that person possible. And you're not just kind of BSing your way through it. And I think in the education game, like for for Grow Class, I have, you know, different instructors teaching the things that they're the the best at because there would also be an arrogance to me saying that I know how to do all of these things at an expert level because I. I don't, and anyone who says they do is lying or selling something. So, um, bringing in the right people at the right times that can help and bring that expertise—that's going to really move your organization forward. I think having the, you know, the humility to say, like, I am not the best person for this. I need help. Um, that's just going to make you
1: stronger as a person and your organization stronger. I couldn't agree more. And I have this coach—an incredible coach. What my coach said to me is, Kim, you just want everybody to like you. I said, no, I don't. She said, yes, you do. Right. And I like I had to sit with that because I didn't really agree with it at the time. But, you know, when she used examples really struck with me and you know, now I, I look at that and every time, yes, I may be when I ask for something, you know, I, I, I'm i saying it in a way that, you know, I still want people to, to like me when I'm asking them to do something. The reality is they report into me and it's part of their job. But I mean, there's a way to, to ask somebody to do something. I, I get that, right? But when you're, compromising yourself because you don't feel confident because you, you know, you feel like you want everybody to like you and you're, that you're the superstar. I get it now. Um, so I, uh, I, I agree with that.
2: Yeah. I think that the having everyone like you thing is something that I didn't, I didn't really learn until my thirties. I think all through my twenties, I just wanted everyone to like me. And, uh, and now I want, to add value and build something of worth. And if not everyone likes me, that's fine. Um, I'm not someone who has enemies I don't ever want to, but I also don't want to you know, build my life and design my life to make other people happy or to make other people comfortable. I would rather be able to do something that I'm you know, incredibly proud of and happy with. And it's okay if it's not for everyone, because that means that I'm really honing in on who I can
0: help. Absolutely. And and I feel like the saying goes, your people will find you. And if they haven't found you, they're not your people, something like that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I could be misquoting, but um, I, I think that that's absolutely true. And the language thing and, and using those cutesy emojis and emails. And Kim, you might believe me, you might not, but I've done it with you because when I was early in my career and I didn't know you that well yet, Kim and I have worked with each other for five years now. So we we know each other pretty well. But at first it was like, okay, she's my senior VP and oh my gosh, I need her to like me. So I'm gonna put a, a smiley face. Should I put a smiley face? Should I not put a smiley face? Should I put an exclamation mark? <laughs> I don't know. What what's gonna make her like me? And it Sarah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um but uh, so, my my last question for you, Sarah, is probably my favorite. It's it's just something that I is so close to my heart. Twenty twenty, as we know, it has been a very very challenging year. It's very understated for me to say that. I could use that unprecedented word, but um, I have to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for we need to talk about this. Um, Uh -uh. So for those listeners who may not know this love letter that you send to your subscribers once a week, and I look forward to it every single week. It's like getting a hug in my mailbox every Wednesday. And I think this speaks to a lot of what we just talked about, Uh -uh. the the sharing and the support idea. Um, Is that what made you want to start it or was it something else? What was that journey like for you? To be honest, to be totally honest with
2: you, I started We Need to Talk About This um, shortly after Trump was elected president. I think a lot of us were in a bit of a state around that time. And so I was, you know, looking for an outlet, but also trying to find some sort of camaraderie in, in how I was feeling and what I was reading. And um and I I just started writing and I just wrote wrote, you know, once a week to to my friends and family. And then they started, you know, sharing it with their friends and family. And it started to find some more of its people, as you said. Um and it. it Became the, you know, the community that I needed. And usually, usually I'm writing to myself, like I'm writing the thing that I need to hear. And I'm just so grateful that it resonates with with people and that they, you know, were were along on on a similar journey. And sometimes we need the same kind of support and, and guidance. And, you know, some people are frustrated about some of the same things I am, uh, specifically when it comes to politics. And, um, you know, my audience lets me be sassy and lets me be, you know, deeply personal and deeply real and, and vulnerable. And I'm so grateful and appreciative of, you know, finding this crew of people that we get to hang out with on Wednesday mornings.
0: I, I did something with your newsletters that I do not do with newsletters is I've saved them. Really? I've saved so many oh of them. Gosh. And look back on them because there are some really good lessons in there. And, oh yeah, I'm not <laughs> kidding, sir. I'm a fan, just, <gasps> just saying. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> Well, Sarah, from the absolute bottom of my heart and, and on behalf of myself and Kim, thank you so, so much for coming on season one of what we hope will be a very long-lasting podcast. Um, that's a really not so subtle hint to our CEO. Um, so um, for for our, <laughs> our listeners out there, where can everybody find you? You can find me at skstock on Twitter or at skstockdale on Instagram. And
2: growclass is growclass.co. dot
0: I absolutely love what Sarah said in this segment about women shining each other. And it actually reminded me of a podcast I love to listen to called Call Your Girlfriend. Shout out to Anne and Aminatu. If you're listening, we'd love to be on your podcast. Um, They talk about shine theory, which in the most basic terms is the idea that when one of us shines, we all do. And you applied it when you gave me the opportunity to run Stance. I will never forget this. You saying Sarah, Stance is not about me, it's for all of us to shine. So that made me wonder did you intend all along for Stance to be a career opportunity when you created it? Absolutely. I've been in a leadership role, Sarah, you know, for many
1: years, and one of my favorite things to do is help others discover opportunities. With Stance, uh, I was really only dealing with my own story when I proposed the idea to our CEO. So I definitely knew there was an opportunity, but I I didn't know how big it was going to be. But now, as we explore and unfold different segments and stories, we know there are so many different directions we could go. And in order to do
0: that, we need other perspectives, not just mine. And not just mine, hence this podcast and our incredible guests. Okay, so I'm curious, what made you empower me with the opportunity rather than keep it for yourself? Well, there's a lot, but let's just narrow it down to a couple things. As we've spoken
1: about here, it's about different perspectives, Sarah. And, you know, we saw someone who had the passion for it and the belief in it. It became clear um, that you were the right person for the job. You also had the ability to dig
0: deeper into it and discover things I never would have even thought of. Well, I'm blushing and I'm grateful because... I've now learned so much along the way and I really can't wait to learn even more. So let's talk about language padding, using those justs, um, unnecessary exclamation points and emojis. So this is another lesson I've learned from observing you. When I think back among the years, this is not something you do in your emails. You do not language pad and you're someone who is widely respected and liked. Was this something that you made a conscious decision to do or was it always the way you've communicated? Well, to be honest, it's part of my makeup. I may come
1: out being frank and and to the point because I'm not someone who uses buffer words. Uh, I have a friend who is so good at articulating, but sometimes it gets lost in translation. You can walk away thinking, what did they really mean by that? I want to keep it plain and simple because I don't want anything left up to interpretation. I don't ever want to talk without saying anything. When you get an email from me, there's never a mistake in what I'm asking, or at least
0: that's what I intend to do. So hopefully it comes across like that. It absolutely does. I never question what you mean. I know exactly what you're asking me for. Um, And I just wanted to note, for those who need it, the Google plugin Sarah spoke about in this interview is called Just Not Sorry. So this plugin will warn you when you're using weak language in your emails. I am going to check this out for sure. Sarah speaks also about how in her 20s she was really fixated on being liked, but in her 30s she really wants to build things and help people. It's funny, I remember when I was in my early 20s, a colleague said to me, trust me, Sarah, once you hit 30, you give less Fs every year. (laughs) Well, (laughs) now that I'm in my late 30s, I agree. However, that fear of being liked still comes up every now and then. Being liked, Kim, do you think this is a gender thing or an age thing? It's an interesting question, Sarah, and I find it interesting uh,
1: because my coach that I talk to on a monthly basis said to me, you just want to be liked by everybody. And to me, that couldn't be further from the truth. Yes, I know in the past I've wanted to be liked and that comes from moving around so much. By the age of 18, I had moved 12 times. So I always had a priority and that was to be liked and to make friends because otherwise I wouldn't have anyone. So yeah, it's a, it was a coping mechanism I think for me. Did that stay with me? Absolutely. When I started at the bank at the age of 24, of course, I wanted people to like me. But as I got older, I started not to care so much anymore. But that doesn't mean along the way, there weren't some hardships. There, there were definitely hardships. I mean, I've been at the company almost 30 years, so it, it wasn't always easy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Take Back, Talk Back podcast the podcast where we open real conversations about women, finance and confidence. At stance, we want women to confidently take ownership of their finances through open and informative conversations, just like this one. You know, what we don't talk about enough the sneaky ways we lose money. Everyone is always so quick to blame coffee and I have to say I'm sick of coffee getting such a bad reputation. I love coffee. I live on coffee please don't come for my coffee. There's something worse, account fees. So many of us pay up to 20 bucks a month just to have our money in the bank. I have a word that could describe this, but I work for a bank, so maybe I'll just say it's poppycock. There is an alternative. EQ Bank doesn't charge monthly fees, transaction fees, Interact e-transfer fees. There's no minimum balance and you earn a high interest rate on every dollar. Skip the bank fees and have your coffee The Take Back Talk Back podcast is brought to you by EQ Bank Money Well Banked. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Equitable Bank. Any information provided is for information purposes only, and Equitable Bank makes no representations as to the validity, accuracy, or completeness or suitability of any content. You should seek the advice of a qualified professional or undertake your own research before making financial decisions. This podcast is produced by the phenomenal team at Quill. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify.